Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Stuff up Saturday, uplift with love. Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. All right. Welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving ourselves is an act of rebellion. This is your host, Dr. Nisa Shomo, and we have a great guest today, Dr. Annalisa Arroyo. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hey, Anissa and other peoples. Uh, my name is Annalisa Arroyo, and I am an associate professor at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia, and I am in the communication studies department where I research um, the intersection of interpersonal and health communication. Um, I have an interest in how our close relationships or the communication within our close relationships, including our families, friends, significant others, um, children, all of the things impact our health and well-being and our self-perceptions. Um, and I typically do research in that area with the, the special focus on body image and uh, eating disorder behaviors. Um, and I teach classes in that area as well on close relationships, a body image course, a family communication course. Um, and I think that kind of sums up me a little bit. All right. I think that it's great work that you're doing at the university level because I feel like as young people, and especially as young women, I feel like that is a very crucial time in your life where it can be helpful to understand a lot about those conversations that we have with ourselves. Um, because that's kind of what, you know, the self-love Saturday is about, and just learning more about how we can accept ourselves more is really learning about those conversations that we have within our like our internal dialogue, that self-talk. And a lot of that is really formulated by the relationships we have with our peers and with our families. So I will um, just kind of, you have a, a great CV um, full, of, full, of, um, full of research about these different um, discussions. So I think it would be good to just kind of start there with um, this idea of fat talk. So I read one of your articles, one of your early articles, I believe it was from 2012 or 2013, mm -hmm. um, the exploring the causes and consequences of engaging in fat talk and how that can really impact our mental health. And so when you said, you know, the interplay between communication and health, did you mean like more mental health or, and also with um, how that can affect, you know, like eating disorder health as well? Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've more started to gravitate towards mental health and well-being. Um, in the past, I've looked at like physical activity and eating behaviors, but um, I, I don't know. I, I think our how we view ourselves and really affects the things we say about ourselves. And so I've mm -hmm. kind of gravitated to more of the well-being aspect, but I think they're all related, but I, I kind of just went that way with it. Right. Yeah, I believe so as well. I mean, our mental health really impacts a lot of our health behaviors because if you, you know, a lot of the research that you've, you've shown is if you have a lot of acceptance of yourself and just have people around you who can be accepting and have that good um, support system who talks to you in a nice way, it can um, translate to 
you know, better self-esteem, better health behavior. So that's really great. So tell me some about, you know, how, how do your students react to these conversations? Well, the fat talk one um, is one that is always an exciting one um, and somewhat a mind-blowing one. I will say we, we now refer to it as negative body talk okay. instead of fat talk, um, although I may use it interchangeably. Uh, that's simply because sometimes, well, what fat talk was defined as or is defined as is the, the negative comments we make about our own and other people's bodies is really in everyday conversations. Um, but what we've learned is that those comments go beyond fat per se, like just their body shape and size and right. just our eating behaviors, our activities, like, no, I, sh I shouldn't eat that or I need to go on a diet, that sort of thing. Um, and by labeling it as fat talk or something bad, we're, we're labeling fat as something bad. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true either. So the the conversation is shifting to call it negative body talk instead of, um, but sometimes fat talk just kind of, it's been used so long, it kind of just comes out. But um, when we do have this conversation or when it's introduced to the students, uh, they love it and hate it because they don't realize they're doing it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's a behavior that so many people do that they just never had a label for. And now right. that we have a label for this behavior and they learn about it, what it looks like, and especially the impact that it has on one's own self-perception and body image and other people's, uh, then they start to hate it because that you can't stop it. And that's right. kind of how I got really interested in it as well is once I learn this label for this behavior that I observed of other people and myself, um, it just became such a fascinating behavior. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, it represents, and I'm sure the conversation will go there, this bigger social expectation and belief that we do so much so often um, that perpetuates this expectation of what our bodies should look like or should not look like. Right. Um, so, so they love and hate it when we talk about it. And it's always a fun conversation of how do we stop it? Who does it? Why do we do it? Mm -hmm. um, so, so in the classroom, it, it's, it's a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, what's really hard about it as, as you've studied as well, is that we learn it from our families often. And mm -hmm. that's why it can be hard to do, um, to, to change it, because it's kind of like a cultural thing. And especially in America, I mean, I don't know, I've never lived and grew up in any other culture other than, you know, the US. Um, so it can be, I don't have really any other frame of reference other than that. But I just remember just being a young girl and people often talking about, you know, oh, I need to lose a few pounds or, oh, look at that or, oh, look at this and just kind of our. Um, and then the, the biggest thing for me, too, is like how every January everybody's like, oh, we've all gained weight over the holidays and, oh, we all need to go on a diet and go to the gym. Like gym memberships in January are like through the roof and everybody has all these plans. They're going to they're going to lose all this weight. And um, it's just kind of, you know, part of our culture is just like this reinforcement of to be healthy, you have to do certain things. And so for me, that's what it is. 
something that I have to fight against um, with my patients because, because a lot of my patients, um, you know, I'm talking to them about managing their diabetes and high blood pressure. And I'm trying to talk to them about eating healthy, about, you know, having um, behaviors that can be sustainable and about talking about like small changes because often like everybody wants to change everything at once. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to help people like not have diabetes, not have high blood pressure. So I'm talking about sugar and carbs and salt and all these sorts of things that are that can be linked to those. But people often will want to talk to me about, well, how can I lose like 50 pounds tomorrow? You know, <laughs> like, and so, you know, for me in January, um, in general, it can be a difficult time because people start to, I feel like, really focus on their body image issues more than they do about managing their medical conditions. And so, you know, do you ever have conversations about like January and like, you know, body image versus healthy behaviors and like medical conditions in your classes? Uh, the January thing is more of a March thing when spring break is around the corner. Mm. Um, so, so that converse, like to me, that's when their bodies become more salient and what it looks like. Um, because, you know, at a college campus, people, not everybody, but, you know, people go travel and, and have that stereotypical experience over spring break. Um, but in, in our classroom, we do have the conversation about health behaviors, but the bigger conversation that we end up having is what is health. And, you know, at the beginning, that's one of the first questions and it's defined as eating this and behaving in this way, exercising this amount of time or sleeping, you know, that's a good one. Uh, sometimes it's being quote, balanced. And then I say, what does balanced mean? And there's no definition of what that, that is. So, so we do have conversations about health, um, but it's really by the end of the semester challenging, and you might not like this, but every notion that we have of health, like what we're taught health is and, and, and how culture, our culture, uh, teaches us what healthy is and usually that is in the form of what a body looks like and so how that's how this is all related is right that certain bodies are deemed healthy and certain bodies are not and it's a person's individual responsibility and moral obligation to achieve health in the way of what their body looks like Right. Um, so that's, that's really where our, our conversations head around health and right. no, but believe it or not, those are the same conversations that I have with my patients, because okay. that is one of the things that frustrates me as well, is that people often want to talk about like, um, you know, well, I want to lose 50 pounds or I want to lose 20 pounds. And they're trying to get advice from me on how to do that. But it's kind of like, that may not be realistic for you. Like, have you ever, like for me to lose 50 pounds would like, would never happen because I've never been 50 pounds lighter than I am. And for some people um, who are the same height as me, that might be something to be achieved, but I haven't been 
50 pounds lighter than I am now since I was like 10 years old, you know, <laughs> and, and not that, um, you know, I know one of the conversations we had before was about BMI and not that I am, you know, that, my, that I have even in that sense of my BMI being high. And for me, it's just more about like, I try to talk to people about more like function. So if we can define health more of a way of functioning, like how is your body functioning? How are you feeling? And that sort of thing versus like, what does your body look like? And that is kind of how I try to talk to my patients about it. Because obviously if your body is having diabetes and there is some dysfunction going on with that, how do we, how do we help your body um, work through that? Because, you know, of course there is genetic makeup, like in my family, in my, in my, um, family, my father has diabetes. And so for me, since I've been a teenager, um, I try not to eat a lot of carbs to avoid that. I mean, not that I don't eat carbs, like, uh, like I, I eat a lot of carbs, you know, but I just try to be conscious of it. And so, you know, but I do challenge people to make their own individual goals for what healthy looks like and to learn about some of this stuff, like to learn what a carb is, to learn how much sugar there is in soda, um, to learn about a lot of the things that they're putting in their bodies. And, and I also encourage people to, to learn about different exercises they enjoy. Because like right now, <laughs> right now it's like a Peloton kick. Everybody's like getting these Peloton bikes. And I'm just like, I would never do that because I don't like biking. I know that about myself. And there's no amount of peer pressure that anybody's gonna do to convince me of it. Like I love, I love walking, I love running, I love swimming, I love kickboxing, I love yoga. I hate weightlifting. Um, I would rather do yoga because that requires a lot of like, you know, strength and that sort of thing to move your body in that way. So, but I just like, I have a lot of conversations with my patients about like trying to figure out what works for you, um, to keep your body, you know, in check, to keep your diabetes in check, to keep your blood pressure in check, but also, um, just to keep feeling good and keep your joints feeling good because, um, it's just, it's a lot that goes into our, our bodies feeling well. But I also know to try to avoid, um, you know, the, the the stereotypes and just that whole like um, the stereotype of like what a body should look like and what a healthy body is, because that is one of the things a lot of my patients and people will just complain about is that doctors often will come into the room and and just immediately assume that if you look a certain way that you're not exercising that you're not eating healthy. So for me, I often will try to ask like, well, what do you do for exercise? Or what is, what are you eating? And that sort of thing. I have more conversations about um, how we can tweak some of those to help with their, any kind of dysfunction they're having with their body, instead of just assuming, um, you know, that they are eating bad or not exercising, because a lot of doctors do that. Yeah, um, our brain is going in different ways of, of, some of the things that you're saying, um, the, the first thing that sticks out to me is, you know, some people's experiences with medical, the medical industry in general, mm -hmm. um, walking into a doctor's office and not being seen as a person, just seen as a body. And if your body does not fit uh, what is deemed healthy looking, then, you know, there's a lot of mistreatment or not, um, taken seriously. Um, you know, just because you're in a larger body, for example, um, 
like discrimination and microaggressions yeah. and microaggressions. Right. And so, you know, you know, one of the the I, I have activists, body image activists come speak to my class um, about five per semester and, and they vary in in one um, person comes and talks about then privilege and what that is, you know, the privilege that people have for being in a smaller body um, and the the lack of awareness of the challenges that people in larger bodies experiences and, and going to doctor's offices is one of them. And, you know, if, if somebody in a smaller body walked in and saying, I, you know, I'm having a hard time breathing, it's automatically, you know, well, what is it? Is it asthma? Um, but if it's somebody in a larger body, it's, well, maybe if you lose a few pounds, then we could reassess. And then, you know, later we find, oh, there's lung cancer, you know, and, right. and, early treatment wasn't helped there. And, and so, so yeah, like help, like health disparities that can yeah. be related to, to, yeah, to discrimination. Yeah. I could, I can see that. And I think for me, I've, I've always grown up around and I've always just had a diverse group of body types in my family and just friends who are different body types. So I feel like that kind of helps me really not really feel comfortable just being able to be around all types of body types because I think that for some people even if they are surrounded by um families who may be in um, like you know family members who may be in larger bodies or friends who may be in larger bodies sometimes there can just be so so much like negative talk about that mm -hmm. that they can feel uncomfortable um just being around around it themselves even if people look like them but for me um, I'm one of the I'm one of the smallest people in my family, um, and so <clears throat> so for me <laughs> so for me sometimes I got more of the you know like you need to eat a sandwich kind of comments um, mm. from f like when I was in I don't remember when like I feel like my dad has told me that a few times, um, but you know it's one of those things I think that I feel like we just need to stop commenting on people's bodies in general um, and just focus more. And that's kind of what led me into this is because being a cancer patient, um, <clears throat> I gained some weight just from getting older because that's what happens, you know? <laughs> it's like you get older and your metabolism is, is a little bit different. Your hormones are a little bit different. Um, and I, I feel like I probably just, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that my body was just changing. And people assumed that I wasn't exercising anymore. People like I'm part of a running group, and one of the running people was just like, "What happened to you?" <laughs> and I'm just like, "What?" <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm still here running with you, you know, <laughs> like nothing happened to me. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I I don't comment on people's bodies, like as a doctor, as a friend, as a family member. It's something that I've become comfortable with. It just if somebody looks like they gain a little bit of weight, I just will in my head say, hmm, I hope they're doing okay. Um, or if somebody loses a little bit of weight, hmm, I hope they're doing okay. You know what I mean? And so for me, like being a cancer patient, um, you have a lot of those forums where people will talk about that. Like people will say, oh, you know, I'm going through chemo and trying to fight for my life, but people keep trying to tell me how fabulous I look, you know? <laughs> And I'm just like, that's pretty terrible because we're just so obsessed with looking healthy. And that that idea of looking healthy um, 
can actually be the opposite. You know what I mean? Like people could be really struggling with cancer mm-hmm. and lose 50 pounds and people will tell them how fabulous they look. And that's just mm-hmm. not right. Yeah, the 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 compliments inside that context and then outside of it are problematic. Um, in Inside the, the health context, I'm thinking of a person who joined my class, um, an, another activist and, and they had on Instagram this quote that said, I don't wanna be healthy, I wanna be free. Um, their name's Caleb Luna and and, and, and the students didn't quite understand what that meant. They were one of the first activists that joined. And so they, they didn't understand the idea that they labeled themselves as fat and loved it. Like, they're like, wait, you're embracing that? How are you doing that? And why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they didn't quite understand the impact of that statement until after the fact, or, you know, later throughout the semester. And, and the point of that quote or his that idea is that they were born with some sort I I forget the medical condition but they're not in a body that would allow them to be healthy or look healthy I should say or Mm -hmm. physically be healthy um and I'm sorry if I'm saying the wrong thing because it's been a few years but they were saying I, I don't need my body to be or look healthy I want to be free from the discrimination and the stigma that my body experiences because of my body, you know? And so that, that kind of reminds me of the, the cancer situation. I, I, although the cancer patient wants their body to be healthy, but they want to be free from, you know, the challenges that are, their body is facing at the same time. Um, and then outside of that context, I'm just thinking of all of the times we just randomly say, oh, you look great. And, and the problem with that is that it's objectifying, even though it's positive. Right. So there's one thing to say, oh, look, she's gained a few pounds. Um, she looks terrible or he, you know, whatever, whatever negative comment we could think about, um, you know, that's objectifying and problematic, but to, to do it in a positive tone is just the same because it makes that person's body very salient and of importance. And we're evaluating other people. Um, and, and if you're the recipient of that, you're like, oh, I, I look nice today. What did I look like yesterday? Right. You think I, I looked great now that I've lost 50 pounds. Well, what did you think of me when I looked 50 pounds heavier? Um, So yeah, all the comments that we make about our body, both positive and negative are to me problematic. And I tried also not to do it. Right. And I think, and I feel like that's where we are trying to move to as a society. When when people are saying that they're trying to be free, people are trying to say they're being, we want to be free of that commentary because it can be very upsetting for a lot of people, the assumptions that people make when people are moving around in whatever body they are moving in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, um, you know, like I said, the comment about, about that when I was just getting older, but then also being a cancer patient, there were multiple times when I had to be on hormones. And so I never had to be on chemo or anything, but even just being on hormones can change just how your body is looking. Um, and so I had an experience like a, around Thanksgiving where people were commenting on my body 
And I was just kind of like, you know, I just feel like we need to stop all of this sort of comment on people's bodies and all this objectification that we do and all of this kind of like obsession that we have with our appearance um, in general, like beyond body type. But I mean, the whole thing about appearance is that um, you can't just like show up to work looking like anything, you know, so that's different. Um, but your body is your body, you know. <laughs> so, but we all like have our own way that we like to present ourselves in that way, in a professional way, because there's a cultural expectation, you know, of of presenting yourself like, you know, like you're looking at me right now. My hair is in the messy bun, um, and I usually wouldn't go to work like this, you know, because <laughs> people would be kind of like, you just roll out of bed and get here. So, you know, for us in America, part of it is like not looking like you like looking like you put some effort into getting dressed and coming to work um, and looking like you have showered and that sort of thing. So there's that kind of thing that, you know, is part of our presentation of ourselves. But there are so many other things that I feel like are just like criticisms that are unnecessary, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's just partly people just don't realize they're doing it or the impact of it because it's so normal yeah. to talk about our own and other people's bodies and and the first people who, who started looking at you know negative body talk were really interested in just the normative behavior of it like it, it was middle school girls and you know why why are why are people doing it well i'm doing it because they're doing it and if I don't do it, then I'm gonna look like I'm somebody better than them. So I have to do it, right? So it's this normative thing. If I say I look fat, Anissa's response should be, no, you don't, you look great, right? That's right. The, you can't say any, anything other than that because then, you know, I'm, I'll perceive that it's rude. Like, oh yeah, you do look fat today. You know, like yeah. that's just not a normative response. So I think a lot of people just don't even, realize that it's in it's what it is and so that's why having a label for it is so important and then once we do have that label to learn the impact that it has on on other people it is interesting too so for me I've been really interested in why people do it because from a social norms perspective it that just to assume I'm doing it because you're doing it I think is kind of incorrect. Yeah. I think when people say negative things about their body, it's because they feel negative things about their body. And yeah. in a study that you mentioned really found that, that, you know, the more people engage in negative body talk, they were more likely to experience depression and body dissatisfaction a few weeks later. Um, so once we start learning that this normal behavior is really hurting ourselves. You know, I think we're we're more likely to be aware of it and try to stop it. But it's so hard. Even me, I've been studying it for almost ten years now, and, and I'm very aware when people do it and say it to a point where it it makes me angry, and then that's a, that spirals me in a different place. But right. where I just can't be present in the conversation anymore. Um, but but I, I, I still, it's still hard for me to just completely get rid of as well. Right. That's what I'm struggling with right now is having 
more awareness about these conversations, but also knowing how normal they are and how when you try to point it out to people that they a lot of times will become defensive mm -hmm. and they, you know, the conversation may not really go where you would like for it to go because people are so used to it and they think it and because it is so normal that it can be very polarizing at times. And so like, cause recently my husband just lost um, some weight um, and he always, he always, um, is, he's kind of a, uh, you know, you know, my husband, cause we've known each other for a long time, so, but he, but you know, he always says that he doesn't talk a lot because he's a jerk inside of his head. And <laughs> so I, he said, he always wants to say when people are like, Oh, you know, you look great. You lost weight. He's always just says that in his head. Like, so I looked terrible before, or I was fat before. Like, you know, he, he says he often wants to say that. Um, but for me, like, you know, somebody recently like was in my DMs, like, oh my God, he looks fabulous. Tell him congrats. And I was just like, I'm not going to tell him congrats because he, his weight for him has been up and down. And it's kind of like, you know, for me, he told me that he feels better when he weighs less because he said when he weighs more, it's hard for him to like tie his shoes, like bend over and tie his shoes and that sort of thing. So for him, he will feel like he gets to a certain weight and he's like, all right, well, I need to, you know, lose a little bit of weight because I don't feel like I'm functional and doing the things that I want to do. But because his weight is so up and down, he I feel like he gets a lot more commentary about his weight than I do. And he just never really knows how to respond to that. And I'm getting to the point where, you know, people say it to me, like, they're like, oh, he lost weight. He looks, he looks fabulous. And I'm just getting to the point where I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to, you know what I mean? It, it makes me, it's getting to the point where it is making me angry as well, you know? <laughs> so like, but you know that if you like go off on somebody for like, for them trying to be nice, like they think they're being nice and they think they're being positive and it's like, but can he just live? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just is, he just is doing what he wants to do. Like he wants to, he likes lifting weights. And part of the reason why his weight goes up and down is because he has a problem with his ankles. Um, and so, you know, it's a struggle that he's had with his physical, you know, like orthopedic situation. So, um, but you know, he loves exercise and that sort of stuff. So when he gets into back into exercise, he will often lose weight. Um, and people will comment on it. And I'm just like, can he just live and be himself and do whatever he wants to do without it being like this big spectacle, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and the same all, for me. I mean, I feel the same way about myself too. I was gonna say, and we often that that praise of that he's receiving just continues to perpetuate, you know, that that weight matters, that size matters, and that there's a size that's better than than another. And without realizing that what he's experiencing in himself like when you say that to him that's hurting him even though we think we're, we're helping and I honestly don't know the answer of how to respond to to that particular comment or any any other comment um, because there has been research that's looked at you know how how do you respond to that? And I, I tried to get to this in, in my dissertation and it, I didn't get the answer that I liked. And I've tried a couple other times um, to, to figure out how do you respond to people's comments about their bodies, either when you say it or when they say it. And it seems like there's just 
not an answer to it. And that frustrates me. So I've kind of, my research has kind of transitioned a little bit more broadly about conversations and communication within close relationships, because it frustrates me that there's just no response. And in this one article that I'm thinking of that, that did the best at trying to figure out how to respond really suggests that acknowledging them and saying, I forget what they, they label it is, but you have to respond in the same way that they responded. So if you completely ignore it, if someone says, oh, I hate the way I look today and you ignore me, I'm going to be, or ignore that person that hurts them. If you deny their them, that's not empathetic, right? Because you're saying, no, you look great. And empathy is all about feeling. So it's more of the, the, again, I forget what they label it, but when someone says, I I hate the way I look today, I look fat today. And you don't say, no, you look great. That, that, that's the response people want and need. And that just continues to make this conversation and, and these conversations continue. And that's what frustrates me, but yeah, I, I wish I had an answer, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that, so I teach about microaggressions with my students and there's a lot of different, I mean, that is somewhat of a microaggression that people are, you know, talking about your size and your image mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and so there's a lot of, a lot of ways that I teach people how to respond and, and there's like, you know, you can ask a question like, you know, you can like, there's like humor um there's humor in in um you can like there's all types of ways you could have a humor thing so um like for me like I said you know I was on hormones for my cancer situation and I went to Thanksgiving and my and there was a whole conversation about how big my butt had gotten (laughs) you know that made me uncomfortable you know it made me uncomfortable and I went into this whole like you know feminist rant and that wasn't received well and so (laughs) I went to an angry feminist rant. It wasn't received well. And, you know, obviously I could have responded in a lot of different ways. And I mean, I don't care that it wasn't received well. That's how I felt. You know what I mean? Those are my feelings and my feelings are valid. And I think that's what's often hard is that, you know, you often people will try to compliment you and you say your feelings and then they get upset that you articulated how you feel about it. You know, so I think that for me, like I don't, I didn't really care that much. And I think that people often don't really know what to do with that. Like when you advocate for yourself and say, well, this is how I feel about it. Like this is how I feel about my body as a cancer patient and how, you know, I don't really like how a lot of young women are being socialized right now to, you know, um, feel like they need to have a big butt and do all this plastic surgery because that's a whole other conversation, you know? Um, So that was kind of the feminist rant that I went into, but if I wanted to respond in a different way um, with like, you know, some of the tools that we use in our upstander training, it could be a way of saying, um, you know, it was like asking a question like, well, what makes you think that that's important to me? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, what about me makes you think that that is something that I value? Like when you ask them a question to really help them understand like why, um, why you didn't really appreciate that comment that they made, you know? So you can ask a question that could, you know, sometimes be perceived as an angry question or anything like that. But you, there's ways you can articulate how you're feeling. Um, so that's that's one way. There's humor. 
And that, you know, for me, like I said, it has to do with me being a cancer patient. So I could have made it into a joke because I am somewhat of a jokester and saying that, you know, well, I'm glad that having cancer great gave me a great butt that you aspire to have. You know what I mean? Like you could, you could be a jerk about it. I could have been a jerk about it um, and really kind of communicated how I feel about it in a way that maybe they could have understood that that was not something they should have said to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just different, um, different responses that, that we could probably try, but I think that often um, we just, it's just such so much part of our culture that we're just trying to figure out like, how do you even feel about it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what's hard about it is like, well, somebody's like, oh, you're looking great because you lost weight or oh, you're looking great because you've been on hormones and all of a sudden you have a butt. Um, you don't really know how to feel about that comment. So it makes it harder to figure out how to respond to it. Um, but I think that that's kind of the step number one is what you're, you know, with the work that you're doing is trying to trying to understand, like, how do people feel about these statements? Where are they coming from? Um, how we can change the conversations? Because that's one of the things I really like about our group of college friends is that we all look different. We all had different goals in our lives in general. Um, and we, we um, just were such an eclectic group of people. And there was like not this like cookie cutter idea of who we should be. And that's why I feel like it was really great to have that kind of community of women that we are around in that critical age of like 18, 19, 20, 21, because it really gave me a good identity of like, I don't have to look a certain way. I don't have to be a certain way. I don't have to tolerate people talking like this to me, you know? And I feel like so many young women and and young people in general just don't even have that example. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I, I, our group of friends, are so powerful also like in the voice in their voices you know and I think and you know me I'm very quiet and I don't really talk or share much um but to be around just not diverse bodies but women who are powerful when they speak was very empowering to me um and at the same time thoughtful and considerate and funny and smart and ridiculous, you know, all of the things. Um, I think having just the, this group of women and friends that kind of embraced all of the things when, you know, I, I was at a point that didn't really feel that way about myself or didn't behave in that way and don't necessarily still do, but um, I, I agree, it just was a great time to be around those people. And I don't know if other young people have that group of of friends or a a group of friends that are similar that, that are building them up in that way. And the the fun thing about us is we don't, or at least I don't think we intentionally tried to do that. It's just kind of. So we gravitated to, and that's one of the things that I, you know, talk about is just trying to create that village and that tribe of being around people who accept you mm-hmm. and being around people who who try to build you up. Because I feel like so many times women kind of get in that cycle of being around people who are putting you down because they feel down. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say that our group of, and I know we talk crap to each other. You know what I mean? Like we did a lot of trash talk because we're all like from the hood. And that's what you do in the hood, you know? We did a lot of trash talk about, you know, not necessarily... Um, 
about like, you know, I feel like sometimes about people's bodies, but often just about just the experiences we had of like ridiculousness. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe you did this or I can't believe you did that. But at the end of the day, we had a group of women who just accepted each other for who they were and didn't try to make anybody into another person. And I just find um, that that was rare. Like, I didn't know <laughs> that that was anything different at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what always t- sticks out or especially stood out to me back then was just uh, all of the shenanigans. Like, it was always about what we did, you know? It was always the behavior aspect, not about the what we look like or any of that. But then also when it came to what we look like, I just remember so many of you guys just talking about how great you looked. Like it was never, I hate this. Like everybody spoke so positively about themselves. And I guess I just never really had been around women or people who spoke. Who were like so confident. confident. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was, that always stood out to me because I just, I don't think I still speak in that way about myself, but it's, I appreciate that other people have the, the ability to do that. Yeah. And I think part of it, I don't know. I feel like sometimes um, it can be perceived as like arrogance to speak about yourself in a confident way. And some people don't always feel comfortable in that. But I know that for me, like coming from where I came from in the hood, like you have to have like some some level of confidence to be able to navigate that world and get where I am, because you have to believe you have to believe in your value and your worth because everything around you is telling you that you're going to be stuck here and you're never going to leave, you know? So I think that's part of probably why our group gravitated to each other and why we had so much confidence and self-acceptance because it kind of propelled us to that place. But I just, it's also just still amazing to me the amount of people we were able to cultivate in that environment. Like it was probably, well, like 20 people in our crew, you know, <laughs> like everybody's just like, this is me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to look how I want to look. I'm going to support you and whatever you want to do and whatever you want to look like. Um, and even behaviors that you do, like, yeah, we can like be like, I can't believe you did X, Y, Z, but still we're going to be like, but I still love you no matter what, you know, and just having that unconditional love that we have for each other and acceptance um, was really, you know, looking back on it was really amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know about you, but I've, you know, I've left after undergrad and just haven't been able to make friends in that same way and right and no I've experienced the same thing yeah <laughs> I mean I went for I went to, to medical school there as well at Ohio State that's where we know each other from that's what we're talking about um so I had a few friends from medical school who were that way but beyond that like as an adult trying to find adult friends who really are that way has been it's been hard mm-hmm. And I think that's why I value or I have research what I value is close relationships. Um, part of that is, you know, when I got to Ohio State, I had left my family, you know, I don't know anybody. Um, and so I kind of was interested in just relationships in that way. And then when some moved away to Arizona for graduate school, the importance and the lack of close relationships just became you know, so important. I, when I talk about graduate school to my graduate students, I equate it to um, solitary confinement, which seems mm-hmm. excessive, but just the, the loneliness and isolation that you, 
you feel one in graduate school, but then also, you know, being 2000 miles away or however far away I was um, really just makes that important. And I think in the midst of a, a pandemic, I hope other people have realized the importance of friendships and communities and closeness and how that relates to our, our well-being and yeah. health also. Yeah, and that's and that's why it is important to have these conversations though, because it's like how how can we be more supportive to our friends and make sure that we're not saying hurtful things to them and make sure that we are just trying to heal each other. And that's really why I wanted to to write my my original book. Um because that's what I experienced when I was going through cancer was that I didn't have a lot of friends here. I don't want to cry, but I didn't have a lot of friends here. And I wish that people would have been more supportive at that time. But instead of people being supportive, people often talked about how I looked. And that wasn't, you know, it didn't feel right. And I feel like that's kind of probably why. And I, I feel like I was always kind of that way where I didn't really comment on people's bodies. But I feel like ever since then, of course, I have a different perspective. Um, but one of the things that that one of the reasons why I wrote my book was because, you know, when I talk about love and defining love, and that's why my book is called Health is Love, is that love and health should be about nurturing each other. It should mm -hmm. be about that nurturing. And so a lot of times when we're saying all of these negative things to each other and criticizing each other, um, it's not a nurturing experience. And mm -hmm. we could be cultivating more of that in our society with our relationships so that we can heal ourselves from whatever we're going through and so that we can forge better relationships that are built on that spirit of love and nurturing mm -hmm. i had a similar experience in my body where people were commenting on it where i'm just like this is feels unnecessary and i was when i was pregnant with my my son who's now going on six and you know pregnancy is a to me, terrible experience, but brothers may enjoy it. But you know, your body is going completely opposite of what society's telling you it should, right? And so people know that. And so what they want to do is talk about your body and how great it looks, right? So you almost daily get com comments on, on your body. Yeah. The issue that I was experiencing with him is I had developed um, antepartum depression, which is, you know, somewhat postpartum depression but while you're pregnant it's yeah. not really the same experience but that's the easiest it's just the hormone start. changes of being pregnant and a lot yeah. of that can affect your mood yeah and and and, and to me you know I, like i was in a, this space and i'm and, and that's what you want to tell me is that i look good like i hate everything about life right now i don't feel good um, i'm nervous i'm scared about all the things but you just want to compliment me and say, I, I look good despite and what they're leaving out, despite all of the weight gain, right? Because that's what yeah. they're leaving out. Right. And so um, it's not the same experience as yours, but it just like you feel like you're not being seen or cared for or understood. Right. Because we're just turning you into your body and what you look like, not the person that's, you know, navigating that body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why it's important to have these conversations so we can start trying to change those experiences to be more positive because there's a lot of people out here having a lot of ne negative experiences really unnecessarily. Like if we can try to figure out how to support each other 
and have better conversations and productive conversations about you know, whatever it is we're going through, um, instead of just reducing us to our bodies, I think that we could be a better society, more connected and have a lot more you know, healing therapeutic relationships. Mm -hmm. And if we could create experiences within our body. So part of it is our close relationships, that's important. Um, and not to say it's an individual's responsibility to feel a certain way about their body. You know, there's all these factors, but when as an individual, we are worried about what our body looks like or how other people are thinking about us, that that's the problem from, that's the problem from the beginning, because, you know, that means you're using your mind and your time worrying about your body when you could otherwise be worrying about what you're saying, how to help society, how to help other people, how to make change. And so we're using, especially as women, all of our power. And I'm not the a person who came up with this idea. You know, there's feminist women who've come before me who right. come up with this or, or who've articulated this more clearly and, and more, uh, a lot smarter than I can, but we're using our power as women our time and our energy to worry about what we look like instead of about worrying about what change we can make for ourselves right. and for other women as well. No, yeah, I totally agree. And that's and that's what this uh this podcast is about, about mm -hmm. you know, using our love and our nourishing powers to heal each other and to move our society forward and move the conversations forward. Mm -hmm. So I really thank you for being a great guest today, Annalisa, Dr. Annalisa. <laughs> um and so thank you all for listening that's our time and we wish you all a great self-love saturday i want you to always remember that loving yourself is an act of rebellion and we'll see you next time self-love saturday help live with love self-love saturday breaking cycles we rebels self-love saturday help live with love self-love saturday breaking cycles we rebels